What's up, everyone? It's Captain Kyle Smith, and this week I sat down for a morning meeting with Synergy One mortgage lender John J.J. Jarros. Listen in as he outlines everything you need to know about how to prepare yourself for first, second, third, or tenth real estate deal, and why another person's mortgage is irrelevant to yours. Hope you guys enjoy it. All right. Hey, JJ, welcome to the bullpen. Thanks for meeting me. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. You were uh, recommended highly from a mutual friend of ours, Jeff Whittington. Um, he said you have a lot to add to, a lot of value to add to our listeners. So I'm um, just really excited to dig into your uh, first alarm. But uh, before we get into that, um, how have things changed in your line of work uh, with all this, the pandemic and all the, uh, you know, social distancing and having to kind of keep our distance from people? Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's funny. I was just talking to somebody on the phone, and uh, I can't believe it's almost a year uh, in a couple months now. You know that we've kind of been through this. Um, for me personally, fortunately, I work out of an office where everybody else is working from home. So for me, um, I've kind of been status quo. I mean, I've been pretty fortunate to be able to go to my office, work. Um, I've I've probably worked less than a handful of days from home. And since this whole thing started, um, but I do have a couple kids and a wife, and uh, their lives obviously have changed a lot. So as a family, um, definitely some impactful things with COVID. Yeah, for sure. And and you know, a lot of people that I talk to here on the morning meeting, they say the same thing that you know they're trying to they're trying to figure out that sense of normalcy not only for themselves in, in their work, but also for for stuff at home and. I mean, these kids are so resilient. Uh, you know, they're, they're able to navigate this thing and, and we are going to push through it. We are sort of starting to trend towards, um, you know, the vaccine is out now and, and we are starting to sort of get, you know, I, I'm thinking we're pushing towards where we want to get to, but, you know, I, I've treated it as a, as an opportunity to try to improve in ways that, that I, I didn't, I felt like I didn't have time to improve on in the past, you know, the pandemic sort of forced everybody to slow things down and, and get back to, to some, some, um, some of the basics. And if you can just, you know, approach it that way, then I think, I think you're going to be okay. So we're right on. Um, well, if you're ready to get this first alarm going, I am, and, uh, just anxious to hear your story. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Right it's, well, cool. it's great, to, great um, to be on. Yeah. Awesome. So, uh, a first alarm assignment on the San Diego fire department, JJ consists of four engines and a truck, but here at the firehouse, I'll ask you four questions. You give us one piece of advice. Sound good. Sounds great. All right, cool. So when you're first in on a first alarm, you got to give a size up, but a size up here at the firehouse is who you are, where you work, and how long you've been doing it. All right, well, my, my name is Jonathan Giroux. Uh I always know how people know me by what they call me. Um, I, I, I grew up being a John and uh, hated Jonathan. And then uh, years ago, I got into radio, and that's where JJ came from, and it's kind of stuck. Um, so people go, people now call me JJ. So if anybody rolls up to me and I'm out of the, you know, on the streets and they call me JJ, I know instantly it's from work. If somebody calls me John, I know it's a personal thing. And if somebody throws out Jonathan, I get confused. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I've been uh, in San Diego since 1990. Went to school here in San Diego, uh, San Diego State. Um, and right after school, uh, I got into the retail pet supply uh, business and uh, with a partner had four pet supply stores in San Diego. At the time, it wasn't great. Um, that's when Petco, PetSmart were growing and coming into town, taking out the little guys. Um, but it taught me a lot about business and how to grind through and what people want and, and how to maintain customer relationships. And at the end of the day, 
relationships, customer service, I think is uh, kind of the, for, the foremost thing people want. Um, so that business taught me a lot. Uh, we sold that business and uh, got into medical uniform industry, um, manufacturing medical uniforms and selling them direct to consumers without a store. And um, same thing taught me a lot about business, but I've now been in the mortgage industry for 21 years and um, been helping families. Uh, you know, I always like to, to think that we're making some dreams come true, but the reality is we're just we're just putting loans in, in people's pockets so they can buy homes or, you know, refinance homes and save some money. Yeah, right on. I, I, I actually thought you were going to say, if people are calling you Jonathan, it means you, uh, you're like in trouble or something. But, uh, you know, you, you mentioned relationships in, in business and in, in everything like that. That is so important. Um, we're going to dig in a little bit more about real estate investing and how important building those relationships really are. And that's going to ring true for our folks. Um, guys that are listening to this, when we're talking about building relationships, it's similar to like having a good bedside manner when you're on a medical call. You're trying to develop a little bit of rapport. You're trying to get on the same page. And so um, when we're talking about building relationships, it's, it's that same sort of concept that you're just trying to bridge gaps and try to you know come to some understandings. And then over time, you start to develop that relationship and, and building your team having a, a lender on your team, if you're talking about real estate investing, is really important. Um, so with that in mind, JJ, if somebody is, if somebody is trying to line up um, for their first mortgage, for example, what are some things that they should have already put together um, ahead of what you're going to be um, asking them for? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and it's something that, that, that I constantly go over. And it's always surprising after this many years that the information isn't out there and maybe it is out there. Um, and, 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 and people just don't want to kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together. Um, when, when you're buying your first home, I mean, it's going to be the, the largest financial liability you're going to have in your life. Most likely. I mean, especially in Southern California, I mean, home prices keep going up. That means loans, loan sizes are going up. And so, you want to you want to have a financial plan. I mean that, and and not to not to put myself in the in the shoes of a financial advisor, but the the mortgage process should be part of a financial plan. Um, and so getting your 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 personal documentation together, your personal financial life puzzle together, um, is the most important thing. And and COVID has actually changed that dynamic quite a bit because. Most homes, if you want to look at a home in today's day and age with COVID going on, you're not going to be able to get into a home without a pre-approval letter from a lender. Um, now, I have heard some, some instances where people have been able to view some homes without that, but the vast majority of real estate agents are kind of adhering to some COVID guidelines that, that the real estate uh, world's kind of put out there. Um, and they don't want people rolling through homes unless they're, they're able to buy. And so when I talk about paperwork, um, we're talking about income documentation, pay stubs, W-2s for the last couple of years, tax returns for the last couple of years, um, bank statements to kind of show that you have the money and where the money is going to be coming from. And if you're getting a gift um, from a family member, that's fine. Um, but, but be prepared to show um, the documentation that, that you can, you can get that gift and it's coming. Um, and so, and then have a, and, and have a mental plan, um, as far as what you want to do. So the paperwork side is one thing, 
but, but the financial picture on what you're trying to accomplish is another. Um, just because you can afford a certain house and a certain payment and you can qualify for that, that doesn't mean that you should buy that home um, or, or, or take on that much liability and debt depending on what you're looking for. Yeah, God, that's, that is just perfect. I love that. Um, we've had several financial advisors on the morning meeting and I'll link to their shows here uh, up above. And they say the exact same thing. Have a financial plan put in place so that you're not overextending over here and just not even really aware of it. For our guys listening, um, it's, it's what this is sounding a lot like to me, JJ, you know, setting up a checklist of, of things that you have to have in order, your W-2s, uh, your tax returns, all those things. It's like when somebody comes to us wanting to get into the fire service. We lay out a checklist of things that they have to do before they even consider applying to come on the job. It's the same idea here. Just have all these things lined up before you even consider these things, because this is, this is a huge financial investment that people are, are setting out um, to make. And you don't want to be caught, caught short, um, not having everything lined up. How does that change? Yeah, for I'll, I'll, even, Go ahead. I'll even expand on that a little bit. I mean, because, because you do have the financial advisors kind of speaking to this. I mean, you, you know, if, if you're, if you're thinking about getting into real estate investing or even buying your first home, it's not a bad idea to have that sort of financial um, partnership and team behind you. And if you can get everybody on the same page, so, so the lender, uh, the, mortgage, the mortgage person is talking with your advisor and, and the goals, the, 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 not, not just the short-term goals, but the long-term goals of what you're trying to accomplish are kind of talked about, discussed, and everybody can be on the same sort of uh, line and, and, and really have a team behind you. And that's where you're going to have the most success. Yeah, that's perfect. It's that, it's that part about building your team. And, and these are all components of somebody that would be on your team if you're interested in real estate investing or buying your first home. I just love that. Um, how does that change for more seasoned investors? Yeah, I mean, so let's, let's say, you know, I've, I own a home. I want to I become a real estate investor. Um, I want a rental property or a second home. Um, that, that's, where, that's where things get a little bit trickier and, and not trickier from a paperwork perspective, but trickier from making sure that what you're, what you're looking to accomplish is gonna make sense. Um, and I can tell you that with, with home prices going up in, in San Diego County, um, and, and I don't think they're gonna stop anytime soon, um, it's become a little bit more challenging to become a real estate investor. Um, because the, the, at the end of the day, what you're looking for is something that cash flows, um, something that's going to be a cash flow positive situation. And when you're looking at a, a $700,000 condominium with a $500 HOA fee and 20% down payment, it, it starts to become really challenging to, to, to make that investment make sense. Um, so what I'm finding is, is people that are looking to invest are looking at multi, multi units. You know, is it a two unit property, a three unit property, a four unit property? And maybe the price point goes up, but now you have rental income coming from different, different units. And things from a paper perspective start to become a little bit more clear. And, and, those, and those, those, those numbers make more sense. Um, and so that's what I'm seeing. I'm also seeing people invest outside of California. Not that we want to take business outside of California, but when you start looking around the country um, and looking at real estate prices and what people are getting for rent for these homes, you're like, hey, that doesn't 
that's pretty pretty attractive. I have, I have some clients in Maryland that are gobbling up properties in, in, Baltimore, in the Baltimore area. And we're talking about 200,000, 230,000, but rental, rents are coming in at 1,800. And so when you start doing the math, it makes a lot of sense. But now you're out of state. Now you're an out-of-state investor and an out-of-state landlord. And that, that, that becomes a lot trickier. So you have to be careful with what you're doing as well. Um, but even, be, even a seasoned real estate investor, um, you know, the paperwork is the same as that first-time home buyer. You got to have that checklist of documentation done and, and ready. Um, and as people become investors, um, sometimes people will start businesses. And even, and I've even seen a lot of, a lot of uh, people in the fire department doing some, you know, some other side hustles and, and things like that where they have other businesses. So just be prepared to kind of, you know, have that documentation available as well. Uh, the business tax returns and profit and loss statements and balance sheets for that business. Yeah, all that makes a ton of sense. Um, gone are the days of the liar loans from like, you know, the, the mid 2000s or, or you know, 2008, 2009, which is a good thing, right? Because that, that hurt a lot of people and, and the lending requirements now are a lot more stringent. I want to just circle back though quickly about your piece um, on the multifamily. The, the median income here in San Diego, which for people listening to this that are from outside the area, is going to blow their minds. It's about $700,000 for um, home prices here right now. Um, and that's not getting you a, a beautiful two-story, five-bedroom, you know, five-bedroom, four-bath house on the beach. That's for just your run-of-the-mill, um, average everyday home. And so when you when you think about it through that lens, it is extremely difficult for our folks to even make their first purchase, let alone try to get into an investment property. And so yeah, a lot of our guys are now starting to look out of state, and that does it brings up a whole nother conversation about building the team. Right, because not only you're, there's no way you can manage that property effectively from such a far distance away, and so now you have to bring in a property manager that's got to be on your team. You're going to need um, somebody that can manage any of the repairs and maintenance for you. Um, so there's a whole list of other um, things that you're going to have to add to your checklist if you're interested in getting into that um, into that business. It's doable. I do it myself, but it is a it's a it's only probably for the um, slightly more experienced, maybe slightly more. Um, risk tolerant folks, but uh, maybe we'll leave that for another day. Um, just kind of changing gears here a little bit, JJ, rates are so low. I hear this question maybe as much as any other one, is now a good time to refi? I, I was asked yesterday, rates are so low, should I refi? Um, I tell them, I don't know, you got to talk to an expert. So I have an expert here with me. What are some trigger points that people should look out for if it is a good time for them to refinance? Yeah, you know it's interesting, and and I, one of the one of the hard parts about interest rates and the internet and and marketing, um, marketing is not really our friend from a consumer perspective. Um, I, I as long as I have been in this business, um, I you know if we go back in time, let's let's call it since the recession is kind of at you know ended, um, so so let's go to 2011. Um, it seems like you can always find an ad that says interest rates are historically low, right? And we've hit the we've hit the low point again, um, and 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 that marketing um, gets to people. You hear it on the radio, you see it on the TV, it it, it you know pop ups on your social media um, about interest rates because the mortgage industry is a giant industry, um, and and interest rates are great. They are low, and at times they are historic low depending on the parameters and 
and what, what's going on and what type of loan, let's call it. Um, but it doesn't always make sense to refinance. Um, so you have to, you do have to, you, you mentioned the word trigger. And so what are the, what are the right triggers? Um, because interest rates are great. Um, so there's a, there's kind of this old adage and I'm not really sure where it came from. I think it, it probably came, came from the time when, when loan amounts were lower, 100,000, 200,000 loan amount, where it, people would say you don't refinance unless you save 1% in interest rate. And in today's environment and with where, where we are in San Diego County and where prices are and loan amounts are, that has to be thrown out the window um, because 1% is a giant leap. And if you can save 1%, hey, <laughs> then that's definitely a trigger. Um, but if you have a $500,000 loan amount and you look at saving a three-eighths of a percent or, or, or a half a percent in rate, that's a pretty good trigger. Um, what, what has happened in the last couple of years, and, and you probably have a lot of people in the department that haven't had 20% down payments to get into homes. So they've come, they've purchased a home with less than 20% down. And, and when you do that, you, you might have mortgage insurance. You, you probably have mortgage insurance or there's some structure with that loan uh, because that less than that less than 20% equity position. Well, we've had dramatic increases in values in the last couple of years. So can you get rid of mortgage insurance and can you lower your rate um, at the same time? That that's going to be a trigger. So value, just the value proposition alone and the equity position on the home has to be looked at. Now, one thing that is happening is appraisals aren't necessarily keeping up with with the values. So there's always this, this sort of time delay, even though Redfin or Zillow might tell you that your home is worth 750 um, because you know homes are in escrow or homes are listed for that, doesn't necessarily mean that your, your home's gonna appraise for 750. Um, and, but, but that's definitely a trigger. If you have mortgage insurance and you, you've owned your home a couple of years, it, it, it probably is something that you wanna take a look at. Um, if you can save, and, and it, it, it's crazy, but if you can save a half a percent in rate, for the most part, it's probably going to make a lot of sense. Um, but one thing that you really have to do, Kyle, is, is you have to you have to have somebody prepare the right presentation for you or the right documentation for you, so you can really break down what the loan is costing, what you're saving, and and where that sort of break even or payback time frame is. Because I can tell you that a lot of people get sucked into the lowest rate. I, I talked to a buddy, they got two and a half percent. I want two and a half percent. What is it going to take to get me two and a half percent? And mortgage lenders can, can make it look pretty attractive. I can tell you, hey, you're not going to make two months payments. You're not going to come out of pocket with any money. But does that mean that the, the, the loan's not costing something? It probably, the loan's costing something. There's always a cost. So you have to, you have to make sure that that cost and savings and your goals all align and match up because there's no reason you're going to spend a ton of money to buy an interest rate down if you're going to be in the house for five years, three years, or seven years maybe. So um, there's there's some things out there that are called total cost analysis. People should ask their their lender to put something like that together for them so they can really break it down and make sure that, like I said, you know the lowest rate is great, but it may not always make the most sense. Um, so you, you got to be careful. The consumer has to be careful.
Yeah, no, that's that's really well said, and, and and I hope everybody listening understands what you're talking about there. For a lot of our folks, um, because it is such a high cost of living area, they can come up with that three and a half percent down for the FHA type lending, um, but that's about it on a lot of these properties. And, and so on the backside of that is that PMI or the mortgage insurance, and that's just an insurance for the lenders, so that you don't just walk away from the property and they're stuck holding a piece of property that they don't want. Um, so you do have to have that equity buildup until you can get rid of that PMI. Um, and then you, you mentioned the uh, the appraisal from Zillow and Redfin guys listening. Um, th th those are not accurate. Okay, you you are going to have to get an actual appraisal. They might get you in the ballpark of what your property is actually worth, but you are going to have to get a real appraisal um, before we even you know go any further. But um, why are rates so low, JJ? I mean, they they seem like they're just forever tumbling. Like, why are they so low? I want you to pull out your crystal ball and tell me, like, are, is this as low as they're going to get? Or is it going to be like in Europe where they're going negative? Where are we at? Well, I mean, you can thank the government um, for, for the rates where, where, we, where they're at right now. Um, it's a very simple mathematical equation. Um, and I'll try to, it, it gets a little bit complex. I'll try to keep it as simple as possible. Uh, but, but one thing we, we have to remember is that even though banks write loans, banks do not hold the loans in their books. So years ago, that was the case. You'd, you'd go to a bank, you would, you would do your loan, and that bank is going to hold that loan for 30 years in their books. In today's day and age, with banking regulations from the government, um, banks have to sell loans. They don't hold them. And, and so if we're talking about regular conventional loans, um, they get sold to two places, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, both government-sponsored entities. And, and those names have been kicked around in the news for years now, especially post-recession. If you're doing a, a government-sponsored loan, um, like you had mentioned FHA, um, or veterans um, that do that do VA loans, which are phenomenal loan products. Um, those loans get 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 purchased by Jeannie Mae, another gov government sponsored entity. And so, those those entities still, to this day, buy loans from banks, package those loans up, and sell the loans to investors on Wall Street. And they securitize these packages with something called mortgage-backed securities. And mortgage-backed securities are what get traded just like stocks and bonds. So that, that's the simplified version. Think of it as an investment for large investors. Um, and they get priced by them. And, and how, what sort of bond ranges they're buying kind of creates the long-term mortgage rates. Now, for many, many, many years um, in the mortgage industry, we used to have a very clear sign that we would look at on an everyday basis. And that was the 10 year treasury bond yield. Um, this is a government bond, but we would be able to look at that. Every morning we wake up, and this is before technology, get rate sheets emailed to you or faxed to you even. Um, but you look at the 10 year uh, treasury bond and if the yield was up, that means that people are selling bonds and interest rates would follow. Interest rates would go up. If people are buying bonds, the yield, the return on those bonds goes down and interest rates typically follow. Well, last year, kind of going even into the year, you know, so 
ending 2019, rolling into 2020, there was talk that the economy was not super strong. And so we already started seeing some pressure with people selling the bonds um, to try to think about stimulating the economy. The Fed stepped up and said, hey, we're going to buy bonds. And, and really, the, the federal government, when COVID hit, kind of created a very big stimulus package that said, we were dedicated to buying bonds. We're dedicated to buying billions of dollars in not only mortgage-backed security bonds, but treasury bonds. And that is what has kept the yields down on both of those, those things. And, and it has been the, the main reason, the main reason why interest rates are as low as they are, because the common investor does not want to be in bonds because they can get better returns in the stock market. So has it, had it not be, and, and, it, and if the government pulls back on this bond buying activity, we will see upward pressure on interest rates. There's no doubt about it. And then you asked me crystal ball. <laughs> so crystal ball, I think we have to be really careful um, as far as we, we have the administration changeover coming. Um, we have some very large stimulus packages being presented, um, potentially rolled out. And, and from, from a public perception, that might be great and it might be helpful. Um, but from an investor perspective, um, it may not be so great. And so there's large investors that do hold bonds and, and continue to buy bonds. And in the last week, we've actually seen some short selling of bonds and we've seen some upward pressure on interest rates just in the last week. So um, we lost about a quarter percent in rate on a, on a, 30, a standard 30 year fixed mortgage from last Wednesday through yesterday. Um, so I think rates are gonna bounce around a little bit. We're definitely gonna find some bottom. Um, economically speaking, um, economic reports are gonna drive certain activities with Wall Street and with large institutional investors um, that do hold and buy bonds. Um, and, and there's been some reports that have come out even today that aren't so great for the economy. And we've seen some money moving back into the bond markets. Um, I think we're going to we're going to be bouncing around sort of the bottom that we saw last week, um, and probably a range of what we're seeing right now that quarter percent higher in rate um, for a little bit of time. Um, I don't think economic reports are going to be super strong. I don't think there's going to be a ton of job creation, and I think it's going to take some time to get this this economy kind of back on track until that happens my belief is that the the, the treasury department um, who makes the decisions on buy on bond purchases are going to keep uh, those purchases going to keep keep interest rates low keep whatever we can stimulated in the economy going but but you do have to be careful um, and, and an example of that is you know getting an interest rate quote let's say today and thinking about it and coming back in three weeks going, hey, let's move forward. Interest rates change, they change every day. Um, sometimes they change multiple times a day. And I'm not talking about a quarter percent change in day, but I'm talking about a, the cost of a rate, potentially the cost of that loan. Um, and so that happens a lot. People get complacent, people wanna wait. Um, if you like what you see, just move forward. Rates are great, they're, they're great. And you don't know what the future holds. 
Yeah, no, that's that's perfectly well said. And I, I was saying, you know, crystal ball facetiously because we don't know, but some things that we can do to help position ourselves are exactly what he was talking about earlier, guys. Have your checklist dialed in, have all those documents ready because you know this is what the lenders are going to be asking you for. If you have that stuff already set up, you just fire it off to them and, and let them find you the best rate that they can. Um, but with that in mind, JJ, um, should we be shopping around to different lenders or, or, or do you guys all have the same access to the same products or, or how exactly does that work? I'm going to do my part over here. I'm going to have all the documents that you need ready to go so that when I've decided, I'm, you know, maybe I've talked to my financial planner, I've put my financial plan in place and I've decided, yes, I want to pull a trigger on my first property or maybe, a, you know, maybe I want to get into multifamily. I'm ready to go. Like, does it make sense to shop it around or do I just send it to you and, and you do your thing? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and it's, it's, the answer is, I think you should shop for everything in life, um, potentially. Um, I just think people have to be a little bit careful of what they're shopping and what they're looking for um, and what your situation is. Um, I'm going to go into a quick little lesson on, 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 on banks and, and mortgages. If you want a mortgage, you're going to get it from one of three places. You're going to get it from a retail institution bank. Let's, I'll, I'll throw out Wells Fargo, B of A, Chase, um, U.S. Bank, all the big banks. That's, that's a place to get a mortgage. Um, you're in the middle of the pack is, is mortgage banks. Um, and so like I work for a mortgage bank and what mortgage bank typically does is we underwrite the loan. We, we process the loan, underwrite the loan, fund the loan all in, in house. So it's similar to a retail bank, um, but that's all we do. Um, and mortgage banks sell loans um, to, to Fannie Mae, to Freddie Mac, but also other banks that want to purchase loans. And so we do get pricing from a bunch of different places because they might have an appetite for a very specific type of loan. Maybe it's a certain credit score criteria. Maybe it's a specific length of loan, like a 30 year fixed loan and with a, a certain value equity position. Maybe that equity position is, is uh, you know, 70 to 80%. And so you do have banks that want to service loans where you'll make your payment to them and go to mortgage banks with, with specials or deals. Um, and, and so the pricing, instead of being stagnant from an interest rate perspective at a institutional bank like a Wells Fargo or Bank of America, where they don't really have any leeway or play because they're one place, um, you may potentially find a better deal, a lower cost um, at a mortgage bank. And then the third, the third option people would have is a mortgage broker. Mortgage brokers kind of work the same way as mortgage banks. They have different places to send that loan to. The biggest differential between the mortgage bank and the broker is the broker just takes the application and takes the information and sends it off and they don't have any control over the process. And whether that's good, I'm not saying that's good. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not downplaying that. It's just, they don't have, they're not processing the loan. They're not underwriting the loan. They're not funding the loan. They don't have control. They're just trying to get their shopping, they're locking and they're sending it over. Um, so those are the three places. So I definitely believe that people should, should, you know, shop, look around. There's no problem with that. Um, but, but the consumer gets very confused at what they're looking at a lot of times, um, from a, from a, from an estimate perspective. 
Um, and I see it all the time. I see people getting these estimates for very low interest rates with extraordinarily high costs. And that's what people have to be careful of. And I'm gonna throw out one of the, the biggest names in, in the mortgage industry. They're the largest lender in the country right now is Quicken Loans. Quicken Loans is Rocket Mortgage, um, same, same company. The Rocket part is just an, an app that you use to, to do the application. And I would say 50% of banks in today's day and age have the same technology, the same app application process. So the, the Rocket part is, is just the technology behind it. But if you go to their website and look at what their posted rates are and you look at the fine print, you're going to see in the fine print, posted rates are the perfect scenario. The perfect scenario. It's 40% equity position, buying a home, 760 credits for a single family, um, setting up an escrow account, like all these very specific dynamics. Um, and then in, in the fine print, it says uh, discount fee 2.14%. So that, that rate that you're seeing is going to cost you 2% 2, 2 of the loan amount. If it's a $500,000 loan, it's an additional $10,000 cost. But here's the thing, they have phenomenal marketing. They're, they're all over the web and people get drawn to it. And so they're assuming they're getting the best deal. But the reality is, is when you think about those marketing dollars, so Quicken Loans, Rocket Mortgage went public and they're a public company. So now you can dig into their financials. They spent $5 billion in 2019 on marketing. Where does that money come from? It comes from consumers. So you, I just think you have to be careful when you're shopping that you, you, you're comparing apples to apples. If you're looking at you know, interest rates, make sure you're looking at interest rates and costs on the same day. And even people will look at APRs and the APR thing is, is I hate to say it, it's almost kind of a joke because from a lender's perspective, they can uncheck certain fees that go into that APR, um, or they can check all the fees that are supposed to go into that APR and make it look less attractive or more attractive. So there's a lot of games that still can be played in today's day and age, even though there's supposed to be a ton of protection for the consumer, there's still a lot of marketing that, that goes on up there. So yes, shop, be careful. Um, and I'll tell you, if you're self-employed, or if you do own rental properties, there are very specific, bank, there's banks out there that advertise very low rates, um, and, but they will not touch anybody that has self-employment income. So if you have a side hustle um, and you claim income on a Schedule C on your taxes, and I'm, I'm throwing some forms out there that people may not know what they are, um, they won't even do your loan. If you, or if you have income from a rental property, they won't touch your loan. So, you know, we, it, it, it happens and, and it, it's unfortunate, um, but uh, that's, you know, again, that's the game, right? That's the, the game of being in business for companies. Yeah, for sure. But, but this is all highlighting and, or, or, you know, underscoring the, the point you're making is we have to pay attention, whether it's to where we think rates are going or to what the actual product itself is. Guys, this is the whole intent and why the firehouse exists. You know, the loan that I'm getting over here is completely different than the loan that you're getting over there. Don't worry about the rate I'm getting. Don't worry about any of that stuff. Do your own research, do your own due diligence so that you know exactly what you're getting yourself into. Because if you don't, you're gonna get hurt. And we've seen it over and over. And while there are protections in place, this is still a business, right? These companies are there to make money. Um, 
it's like it's like the casinos in Las Vegas. Those things are gorgeous. They're giant. I mean, it's beautiful. But they got that way from your money. So pay attention out there, guys. I'm um, just circling back one right before I let you go here. Um, you mentioned an APR. Can you just explain briefly what an APR is? Yeah, it's it's a very confusing thing. Uh, um, and and I always tell people Google what APR means and try to try to read about it and understand it. But an APR, I call it annual percentage rate, it is supposed to be the costs involved in obtaining that particular interest rate annualized in a percentage rate um, over a year's time. And so the APR, if you're paying any sort of fees, and I'm, I'm talking about underwriting fees, processing fees, if you're, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say the word discount fee or points, um, and people that have shopped for homes or have taken mortgages out um, have heard that term before, points, um, that cost should be calculated in the APR. And so typically you're gonna see um, the APR always higher over the interest rate. One, one thing to just really know, because I, I get a ton of questions about APR, the payment is based on the interest rate, not the APR. The APR is just a function of, it's supposed to be a function for people to shop interest rates. But again, there's a lot of games that I see played with APR, fees that aren't checked or fees that, that should be included that aren't included. Um, and so you just, you have to be careful. I, I like to tell people do manual calculations of the cost. You know what the interest rate is. You see what the new loan amount that's being presented to you. Look at the actual closing cost from the lender. Forget the third parties. I would even throw out the appraisal cost because that doesn't really come from the bank. Banks don't make money on appraisals. An appraiser goes out, does the job, they send us a bill. Um, so that's not a lender fee in, in, in particular, but processing fee, underwriting fee, if there's an application fee, which I know banks are charging, and discount points. And, and, and discount points can work the opposite too. And so you, you hear advertised, zero, you know, 3.99, well, let's say, wait, we're not hearing 3.99. Let's say 2.75% interest rate, 2.75% APR. How do you get to that, you know, same APR? You, you take a higher interest rate and you get a lender credit, something called lender rebate, which is a reverse point cost. It's like, hey, bank, I'm only gonna take a little higher interest rate and you're gonna give me money that's gonna help offset closing costs or a portion of the closing costs. And that way that loan's not really costing anything. And so my APR can be the same as my interest rate. That can make a lot of sense too for people. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Um, just, just sort of wrapping this thing up, JJ, I asked you for a crystal ball earlier. Now I'm gonna ask you to go back in time. Uh, so if you could, what, what piece of advice would you give the 25 year old version of yourself as it relates to personal finance or real estate investing, lending, anything like that? What would, what would be a piece of advice you'd give yourself? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so I'm 48 years old and if I could go back in time, one thing that I, 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 I it's really hard to grasp when you're young and working and hustling. The biggest thing is to invest, um, from a financial picture, it is amazing how putting $100 away on a monthly basis into an investment, if it's a 401k, 
I mean, I don't know what the fire, you know, the fire department offers these days. I know there was pension at one time. I thought I heard that it maybe went to a 403B or a 401K. I would say do what you can now um, to invest as much as you can at a young age because that rate of, re that compounding rate of return is so dramatic. And if you can start young, it's just, it, the, the benefit is so huge because otherwise you're just playing catch up. When you get to the, you get in your forties, now you're playing catch up and you're thinking about your sixties and how am I gonna have enough money to get there? Um, one of the things that, you know, paying rent, buying a home, sometimes it's really difficult for people to kind of fathom owning a home. But in today's day and age, you know, the younger generation, and if you're in your twenties, if you can, you know, think about the future a little bit. And, and if you can kind of budget correctly and buy some real estate, buy that first home, whatever it is, maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a condo, maybe it's a single family home and rent out some rooms to your buddies, um, rent out rooms to people that, that aren't ready to, uh, to, to, to jump into that home ownership. We have seen the real estate valuations increase dramatically over time. And, you know, people might talk about real estate prices dropping. They can, they can drop. We saw it in the 2000s. We, we had a huge recession and a lot of people dumped their real estate. They, they got out of it. And if those people would have just held on to those homes, the values have, have gone way past where they were in 2008, 2009. We're seeing it San Diego from an investment perspective, you know, we're a protected area. you got the border to the south, the desert to the east, Camp Pendleton to the north the ocean to the west. It's a slice of heaven that people want to be in. Now, with, with everything that's going on and the taxes going up and in California being what it is, people you know want to, want to think people are leaving, but there's a bunch of people from the East Coast that are more than happy to be sitting here in January at 80 degrees. Um, so it is, it is that slice of heaven. And just like the real estate and just like the 401k, if you can budget and watch where your money is going at a young age, you are going to reap those rewards um, many, many times over as time moves on. I mean, that if I could go back in time, I, I did not realize the impact um, that you know investing in a 401k or even in the stock market or or real estate um, could make um, down the road. No, that's perfect. I mean, it's it's sort of like the keep it simple uh, principle, the kiss principle, keep it super simple. Um, just do something, just do something and allow the power of compounding to take effect. Use the power of um, appreciation or inflation in our real estate market here, but just do something, set a budget so that you know exactly what you're doing and then put some of that money away. Don't just float through life doing nothing so that when, you know, you're approaching retirement age, you're having to play catch up. Like he's saying here, guys, just do something, please. We've had so many uh, guests on the morning meeting say that exact same thing. Do something, take action. And uh, I think with that, JJ, you got knocked down on your first alarm. So if, Thank uh, you. Yeah, so if uh, people are looking to learn more about you or, or, or have some more questions about uh, financing and lending or, or something like that, where could they find you? Yeah, the easiest place to go, I'll keep it really simple, askjjnow.com, um, askjjnow.com. All, all my contact info is there. Um, there's a bunch of videos that I've done on the, on the website. Um, they, they do get aged out regretfully just as time moves on. Um, but you can learn about myself and, and, um, 
learn about the company and all again my contact info info is there social media uh links and and all that all that fun stuff okay perfect that's askjjnow.com i'll link to all that stuff in the show notes uh jj i just can't thank you enough for your time today you've you've shared so much valuable information with us that um is is pertinent to our line of work it's specific to us um and it's actionable that's the key is um it's giving us things that we can go out today and start doing so that we're you know getting down the path towards financial independence and that's that's the whole intent so really can't thank you enough uh be more than happy to come on anytime and i appreciate you uh taking the time and, and thank everybody that is listening in the fire department for their service um probably don't get thanked enough um just yesterday there was a fire up in, in palomar college and uh, my wife texted me a picture from our house. It looked like it was right over, right over the hill. It looked like it was coming over the hill. And, and um, you guys wiped it out pretty fast. So thanks for all you guys do. You bet. Our pleasure. All right. Hey, thanks again to JJ for meeting me here in the bullpen. His message about being prepared, being ready to go when the time comes is just perfect. Guys, we are approaching what has to be the top of the market uh, in the real estate business. If you are thinking about investing in real estate, whether it's your first uh, home or you're trying to get into some investing, you got to be ready, not only with that checklist so that you are, are um, ready to go when they're asking for those documents, but also with a little bit of dry powder on the sidelines um, so that you can you can reap the benefits of what might be coming down the pike. If you'd like to learn more about JJ, you can find him on his website at askjjnow.com. That's askjjnow.com. If you'd like to learn more about us, we're on Facebook at The Firehouse. That's f.i.r.ehouse. On Instagram, the underscore fire underscore house, or on LinkedIn, the Firehouse Investors, or any place you listen to podcasts. If you learned something today and you'd like to hear more, please like, share, and subscribe. But no matter what you do, take this information, go out there, and get some. Station F.